Welcome to today's edition of Front Porch Talks. I'm Grayson Willis. Today's edition of Front Porch Talks took place at our 25th anniversary men's retreat from Harrisonburg First Church of the Nazarene down to Ocracoke Island, North Carolina, April 10th through the 13th. This year's theme was Lead On, and in session three of the men's retreat, my dad, Pastor Kerry Willis, came and spoke on relational leadership. From the moment I knew that Pastor Kerry Willis wasn't going to be our pastor anymore, I had a lot of thoughts, but one thought I definitely had was he's got to come to men's retreat next year. And pretty soon after that thought was, he's got to speak at least once. So in just a minute, he's going to come and do something that he used to do pretty often here at a men's retreat, take the microphone. I'm grateful for that. I'm going to ask you tonight to uh, take out your copy of your covenant, if you have it, one more time. Uh, we're going to recite that together in just a minute. And so those of you that have a copy now of the covenant, I'm not going to ask you to stand. You've been standing already in worship. Um, this is really, we prayed a lot about uh, the 25th year and about this idea of leadership. And we really just felt in our hearts, in our planning, that this, if there could be a takeaway, this would be it. That we would walk away with, and 25 is a lot, but it's a beautiful reminder of covenant. And so, if you would, uh, for the final time this year at Men's Retreat, we're going to recite this together. And uh, as we recite it, just pray. Uh, pray, say, Lord, let, let this be true in my heart. And where it's not, um, like the man that, that came to Jesus in and said, you know, if you can, will you? And, and Jesus said, if I can, everything is possible for those who believe. And he said, I do believe, help my unbelief. So there may be some things as you read and you say, oh, Lord, help my unbelief. I, I don't know what that is for you, but I just want to give you some freedom in that tonight. And so uh, I have it here on the screen. And I'll leave this in it. But let's read this now as we prepare for Pastor Terry to come and share from his heart here on the last night of our men's retreat. I offer this covenant as a commitment and a prayer. By it I'll live, and in it I will depend on the grace of God activated in me and strengthening me. I know that apart from Him I am empty, but in Him I can live and live victoriously. I can do nothing on my own strength, all things through His. I believe in God, the Father all-powerful. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's Son, my Lord. I affirm that Christ is the only way of my salvation. I know that He is my model for living. It is by faith that I am saved. I will obey Him living in his legacy. I understand that the Holy Spirit works in me, convicting of sin, sanctifying. I therefore commit to a life of holiness by his power and provision, soberly acknowledging that the result of a life of sin is death. With this covenant, I declare that my life is not my own, so I will live accordingly, taking up my cross. I will stand with confidence 
on the promises of God, no matter my life circumstances. I will be a man of His Word, knowing that the Bible has everything I need for life. I will be a man of consistent prayer. As a son, I will be loyal and strong. If I am married, I will love my wife the way Christ loves His church, always treating her as precious. She and I are one, and I will live accordingly when we are together and when we are apart. If I am a father, my children and grandchildren will see through me a glimpse of the love and mind of Christ. I will be a good friend, faithful and true. I will give generously. I will tell others about Christ and the freedom to be found in Him, showing others the way. I will strengthen my local church. I won't be afraid, knowing full well that He is always with me. I will accept and live my call to me. I will love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love others as I love myself. I will live my days to please my Lord, the author and finisher of my faith. In his name, amen. So be Pastor Kerry, would you come? Very familiar sight. <laughs> A few new faces. That's wonderful. Well, Pastor Adrian, everybody got a gift from you. So I thought you ought to have a real gift from the island. Uh, thanks. So Vince O'Neill.
number 20. Somebody say it all Say it in I was strengthened by the local church. You know, I can really say that tonight without feeling like it's self-serving. I will strengthen my local church. Another word for church is community. I will strengthen my local community of faith. I will strengthen my local family of faith, hope, and love. Church. I cringe whenever I hear a Christian say, I hate the church. I've heard that. I can really say I've heard it more than once. I've heard it numerous times. I've heard Christians say, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. And I cringe. It's akin to going to a wedding that you've been invited to by the groom, and the groom overhearing you say, the bride is really ugly. As a matter of fact, when you say, I hate the church, you say you hate me because I am the church. As a matter of fact, you say you hate yourself because Jesus died that he might have a bride. Jesus died that he might have a bride. And the church is it. And if you wrap your arms around number 20, and say, I will strengthen my local church. There's not a lot more on that list that will mean any more to the groom. And there's certainly not many more on that list that will mean more to your local pastor. And so I just begin with this little piece of paper in hand. Now, some of you have your pastor, your pastor Drew, and others. And so what I would ask is that on that piece of paper, sometime between now and the time we leave, if you have a pencil, if not, Sunday, uh, write on that piece of paper, Pastor, whatever name, Adrian, Pastor Drew, what other pastors do we have here? I'm not even sure. We have some that are representing churches where the pastor may not be here, okay? You can really surprise your pastor. Pastor Adrian, here's the way you can count on me to strengthen the local church. And write your answer and sign your name. And uh, that will mean a lot. I guarantee you that's one stack of papers that Pastor Adrian will keep probably forever. I first got an idea of something like this when James Spruill used to come and host revivals at our church. And at the end, I would have people to write love notes to Pastor James. He still got them in rubber bands at his house. And so I know that this is something you would like to say to the pastor. But nobody's really asked you to do it. And uh, be sincere, man. Pray about it. It can be just one word, you know. <laughs> Or it could be a sentence or a paragraph. But I will strengthen my local church by, and here's the way I plan on doing that. 
And I just had that conviction in my heart from the, I guess the time I read the list. Because you see, tonight, I'm here under Pastor Adrian's anointing. I'm here under his authority. And I'm very comfortable there. And uh, I just want to make sure that you understand that the local church needs you. You are really the local church. If any of you are leaning out, if there was ever a time you were leaning in more than you are tonight to the local church, may I warn you, that is a sign of backsliding. You can't do all the same things that you might have done, but there are some things you can do better than you've ever done. And so, lean in. When I came to Harrisonburg to be the pastor many moons ago, probably the first six months of my ministry, the Lord gave me Proverbs 29, verse 18. It became my personal treasure. Where there is no vision, the people perish. As a matter of fact, I can do this cutie little thing because that's how I am. I changed my title from senior pastor, which I was way too young to be the senior pastor anyway. But I changed my title because of that verse to vision pastor. So that every time I had to look at my business card or my stationery or whatever, I would be reminded of Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And I want you to know, I think there are people, this is not about me, but if I'm going to call you to something, I have to give testimony about my own life in that area. Over the 24 years that I pastored the local church, I never ever remember one moment I wasn't leaning into the church. I do not remember one moment that I was not leaning into the church. And actually, the most tender thing, I, I've wept over since, that was said to me when I left the local church was said by Joe Stoner. And he didn't even know that he said it. And I didn't even know that he said it. It hit me later, after I remembered everything everyone had said to me in my passage. Joe, who had worked very closely alongside me, uh, that's why maybe it meant so much. <laughs> because when people who know you say things, it, you know, it's just kind of true. <laughs> and he said, Carrie, I want you to know that even when you left, you still had vision for this local church. And that's because I didn't leave because I was leaning out. I left because the Lord said, I've got another plan. Please, if you're leaning out, <laughs> lean back in. And find your place in the local church. I cannot overestimate how important the leadership of men is to the local church. Taking nothing away from the ladies, but I cannot overestimate how important your support, your leadership is to the future of your church. I cannot overestimate it. So please fill that paper out. And uh, if you're leaning out, lean back in as quick as you can.
Uh, tonight has been my uh, assignment uh, to speak on relational leadership. I really uh, am speaking, if I were to title this tonight, and I kind of have, it is this. Men beware. Really tonight, it's not the message I would prefer to bring. <laughs> I'm here to bring the warning tonight. I honestly didn't want to speak at the ministry retreat. I haven't spoken at a lot of ministry retreats. I've got a lot of you to do it. And thank you, Brian, especially Brian. But when Pastor Adrian called me, I had just been asked to write an article for Grace and Peace magazine for men. I mean, it was still wet on the paper, probably. And I was getting ready to say to Pastor Adrian, I don't even have anything to share. They know everything I know already. Oh. And I couldn't, because I felt like, wow, maybe I wrote the article for the retreat. And then last Saturday morning, I was at a men's prayer breakfast at uh, Cape May, New Jersey. And uh, I got affirmation again <laughs> that this was the message that God would have me share. So last night when Pastor Billy said, obedience is evidence that we are faithful, <laughs> I want to live that out here tonight. But everything's going to be spoken in love. Nobody's going to get hurt. But it really is titled, Men Beware. There's a scripture I want to give you in Proverbs 16, 18. I'm going to read it from the God's Word translation. Proverbs 16, 18. Pastor Billy quoted last night, I believe, from the NIV. Proverbs 16, verse 18. Pride precedes a disaster. And an arrogant attitude precedes a fall. Pride precedes a disaster. And an arrogant attitude precedes a fall. Now, we've all heard it said that Christianity is best lived in community. I mean, that's the only way you can live Christianity. <laughs> to be honest. I mean, yeah, there are exceptions if you've been kidnapped and thrown on a deserted island and all of that kind of stuff. But Christianity is a call to community. Christianity is best lived in community. But here's my paraphrase of that saying, and I issue it as a warning. Christianity best be lived in community. That's what this is all about. This is community. I first heard this warning myself from my own dad. And... Uh, it was our first year retreat, the spring of 1995, and I had not worked my way yet toward vacation time, and I needed to see my daddy, and he didn't have time to come to Harrisonburg and see me, so I planned a retreat, because <laughs> that would be work for me, and I issued the invitation. And I said, if any men would like to go with me on a retreat to the coast of North Carolina, please see me. 
and 19 of us <laughs> piled in four-wheel drives and drove to Harker's Island, North Carolina, just below us here. And we slept on couches and on porches. <laughs> you know, it was like 10-pound potatoes in a 5-pound sack, some of those beds, you know. And we learned something about community. Let me just ask you a question. Are any of you still here? Would you stand if you went that first year? Any of you? I know that there's at least three of you, right? Oh, and Frank was there. Here they are. <laughs> now that's, that's community. That's to be my pole bearers right there. <laughs> but my dad... Uh, was a shrimp boat captain, just like Bubba Dillon. And I thought men might be interested in seeing that. So, Dad took all 19 of us and loaded us on his 44-foot shrimp trawler, the Lady Melba, and he took us from Harker's Island to Cape Lookout, North Carolina, to spend the day. And I could still see Dad. He was on cloud nine. And um, when we left, Dad stood beside the road in front of his house and he waved us all goodbye as each car passed and he was weeping. I mean weeping. And we didn't have cell phones in those days. People in my car said, Carrie, what's wrong with your dad? I said, I don't have a clue. And when I got home, I rushed into the house and I got to the phone and I called. I said, Dad, are you okay? He said, what do you mean? I said, you worried all the men. And you worried me. You were standing on the side of the road and crying like a baby. What was that about? He said, son, don't ever let that get away from you. I said, what, Dad? He said, the community of Christian men. He said, do you know that I have prayed for that for my own life? as long as I've been a Christian, and I've never had it. But it jumped my generation, and it got my son. And he said, don't let that get away from you. And somewhere in heaven, I believe he's looking over the banister tonight, and he's saying, it's still God. I listened to him with that. That's one reason that we still have an interest because Christianity best be lived in community. Men, beware. Beware of what? You know, men across the ages seem wired to avoid community. I don't even want to hear your whole, you know, extrovert, introvert mess. I'm pretty tired of hearing that, to be honest. Because I am an introvert. This is what community did to me. <laughs> I am an introvert. And so, I know better than any of you that if you're not part of community and you use introvert as an excuse, that's exactly what it is. It's an excuse. As a matter of fact, you need community more. <laughs> Stick with me. And beware. It's a spiritual, tragic tradition that men want to avoid community. And it must be challenged. 
by men who claim to be Jesus believers today. And you know the men I have felt the sorriest for throughout my pastorate days? The men who came the Sunday after men's retreat who were not on men's retreat. You had to feel like a loser. And that was on purpose. Now some people just can't come. I understand that. But how can you be 25 years in a local church where we have scholarship and everything else and avoid this? You're wired for it. But I've had men tell me, I'll be there next year. It's because our wife nearly kicked the skin off their shin during the whole service. What woman wouldn't want a man to be a part of a community like this? Ooh. So, smile big when you sing tomorrow. Granted a few of them scoundrels. And then hug them after so and tell them how much you love them. And tell them you got a bed for them next year. See what happens. But I did. I always felt sorry. I had men tell me, we're not coming the Sunday after the retreat. And you know what I said? I understand that. I understand that. There is such community on that platform. Most of us would never stand in front of anybody to sing anything. Some would. They may hear. You know, people that can sing. But why do we stand on that crazy platform? Because it's community. And we've been a part of it all weekend. And we just can't miss it. Oh, Jesus. Togetherness must never be an option for us. Because community is a necessity for believers. It's a necessity. We've become so dull unless we allow others to join us in our faith walk. That's why the most quoted scripture in men's retreats everywhere. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. It's true. And we become dull without it. Some of you are sharper for being here these three days. You already know it. I know I'm sharper because of you guys. I don't think I would have survived ministry if it hadn't been for men in this room. I've received such encouragement from men in this room. I don't think I would have made it. Because I'm prone to discouragement. Remember I said I'm an introvert. I need it. The Lord probably said, you're going to be a pastor. That way you're going to avoid it very easy. Sometimes I believe you called me to be a pastor to save my soul. Mm -hmm. I really believe it. Introverts are getting nervous. Now they're ready to call them in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pastor, please shut up. I'll be there someday. I'll be on the platform. Quit. Stop. There are worse things. I'll take a little personal privilege here. It was my joy to pastor one local church for 24 years. I stood amazed in the presence of Jesus of Nazarene. I watched our congregation grow from 120 to 1,200. The most practical reason for our growth, men's retreat. I had zero doubt. I tell it in seminars everywhere. 
since I've gone to the Philadelphia district, do you know how many pastors have called me and asked how do I start a men's retreat? A lot, because they're tired of hearing it. <laughs> Kevin Griffin sends his greetings. He's working alongside me. We'll have our first men's retreat next year. It's going to be a district men's retreat. I felt like when I left Harrisonburg, Jesus said, let's go do it again. Mm. Well, I don't know everything that he meant, but I know he meant call me in. Call me into community. So next year, we hope to have our first retreat there. Um, you say, well, Pastor, how do you, you, know, how do you really know that, that this had anything to do with it? I'll get to that just a little bit. Let me tell you some other things. We were at a, I'll tell you now. We were at the Virginia District Pastors and Spouses Retreat. It was approximately 2004, I think. Reverend H.P. London was our guest speaker. And at the time, I had been pastoring about 10 years. Our growth was a mystery to me. And during one of those teaching sessions, Reverend London revealed to me the most practical reason. I mean, he kind of told me. He had a a statistical study that he had done. And it's, I think it's listed in your notes. And some of you have heard me say it before. He said, in a study, it was learned that if a child is the first in a family to come to Christ in the church, 3% of those children will lead their entire family to Christ and the local church in their lifetime. If a lady is the first in a family to come to Christ in the church, 17% of them will lead their entire family to Christ and the local church in their lifetime. If a man is the first in a family to come to Christ in the church, 94% of them will lead their entire family to Christ and the local church in their lifetime. Well, it might be true that the hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. But according to that study, it's up to the men to go to church. <laughs> I've seen that play out in reality in both directions with families. You know, you get the mother in the church, you might get the girls. You're going to have a hard time getting the boys. Sometimes you do. But it's a crapshoot. We're talking about the future, okay? We're talking about leaning in. My heart was wonderfully warm when I heard that statistic. Because I understood all of a sudden why people were coming to our church. Because men were. And men were leaning in. You know, there was a time, I don't know now, but there was a time because of men's retreat, I know, that in our local church, men were keeping nursery. <laughs> Men were cooking bread that we gave out on Sundays. Men were doing things that men don't characteristically do in church. It was amazing to watch. I remember Dan Lee used to come in every Sunday with six loaves of bread. <laughs> oh, it was a beautiful thing. Because <laughs> we gave bread to the visitors, you know. And men were signing up for the nursery. <laughs> Back in the nursery. People would come back to leave their kids. They weren't really sure they wouldn't leave their kids. <laughs> this is abnormal. But then they thought, well, there's somebody you know, trying to hurt their kids. Yeah, oh, this is a good thing. And men, Lord used them. Men, build the church. 
He's going. He's still doing. He's going to do it some more. If we take number twenty serious, and he's going to do it again. When I'm asked, it doesn't matter where I am. If you were starting a new church, Pastor Jerry, what's the first thing you would do? I said, plan a ministry retreat. First thing. It's been essential to us. Powerful. I've learned that when men embrace community, everything changes. You know the single most outreach event that happens on the property at Harrisonburg was started by men. The crew's in. Do you know that started because men came on retreat and they wanted to spend more time with each other. They love the community. So I remember when we got together talking about how can we do more things together? And the cruising came out of it. And you know that is for many people the first introduction to the Nazarene Church in Harrisonburg. First time they come on the property, no pressure, all pleasure. But when the bottom starts to fall out of their life, they know a comfortable place. They've been before. I've had many people tell me in this foyer and other places, you know the first time I came to church here? It wasn't for church, it was to see cars. I mean, women can do it, but I, I don't think they really enjoy putting a vintage car show on as much as me. But men did it for the right reasons. They wanted to be in community together. <laughs> it's beautiful. And you know that excites the women and the girls <laughs> when the men are thriving in community. Hmm. Men beware. When we as Jesus believing men avoid community, we sadly run a high risk of becoming something altogether different than Christian men. It's tragic. When we run from community, it often ends up in destruction. Personally. If we foolishly choose to go alone, we should anticipate brokenness, pain, Lostness. Christianity best be lived in community. I want to explain more deeply and more practically what I mean by men beware. This is stuff I hold myself accountable to. I don't know if I've ever even shared it out loud. I suppose I have somewhere, at some place, at some time. But I want to give you a staircase. Yeah, just like these three steps right here. It's a staircase that leads to destruction, especially for men. And so I'll be talking for the next few moments about the top step, the middle step, and the bottom step. Downward. A staircase downward. Number one, first step. Isolation mm -hmm. can be the first step down the staircase to destruction. Isolation. Now we need certain seasons for solitude. I understand that. Jesus took those, but he always came back to the crowd. So certain sanctified seasons of our lives can offer holy solitude to our souls. But isolation overdone can eventually turn to unholy horror. I can give you names. I won't. I want to be blatantly honest. Men leaders who spend too much time alone, they may seem spiritual at first, but I would doubt they are godly 
That especially goes for pastors who spend a lot of time alone. I would doubt that they are God. Because I've had to fight that temptation. I'm not just telling you things that I think could be true. I are alone. And I was glad that I had eventually come out of cover at least twice or three times a week. I had to go where people were. But I wasn't getting no paycheck. And it kept me from overdone isolation. Here's what you say to your pastor. Oh, pastor, I would love to have lunch with you, but you're too busy. <laughs> Will you quit helping us to overdo isolation? Just tell us where we're eating one time in your body. <laughs> we're not too busy. Now, if you got four kids, you could be. So you could use that occasionally. You know what I always thought when people said that to me? They're too busy to spend time with me. That was the way I heard it. And it would isolate me if I allowed people to get by with that. And some of you have said that to me, you know, when you didn't get by with it. Because I saw it as a cry for help for either you or for me, whoever. We need to come out of our isolated places. In fact, being with people renders more holiness in your heart than being by yourself. It's true. I know it. I'm convinced of it. You know these life groups we have? You know who the biggest opponent to them was? Me. I did not want to have life groups. I'm an introvert. But in order to be obedient, not only did I have to cast a vision that Judge Thunder wrote for life groups, I had to join one. I thought for a moment, well, the church won't know if I'm not in one. <laughs> I had that thought. So four o'clock on Sunday, I had to drag out, go be with people. And Ken's all excited about it. And I'm like, whatever. Here we go again. But you know, I picked something up in that life group that saved me that we and then after about six months of life group, I actually almost wanted to go. <laughs> and when I left the church, it was the number one thing I probably missed. Life group. Not being a pastor, but just being a Christian in a life group. Wonderful. Actually, Kim and I, we got worried because we kind of depend on community so much. Because I'm in a different church every Sunday now. But you know what? On Wednesday nights, I'm almost always at Cape May, New Jersey. And so I want you to know for accountability mm -hmm. that on Wednesday nights we leave our little cottage and we jump in the car and we go to the meal that they have at the Seashore Church of the Nazarene. And then we go to the Bible study. And I've been in some of the best prayer meetings of my life in that little church. 
where we found new community. So in case you were wondering that I was overdoing isolation, I'm finding pockets. I started a meeting with pastors on the district called Familiar Grounds. And when they asked me, what's that going to be? I said, about the same as John Wesley's Holy Club. Don't you want to come? And I'm, I'm smoking some preachers out who are overdoing isolation. You know, I told them the other day, here's my new slogan. If I have to chase you, I will replace you. <laughs> They're real scared. I said, I'm not chasing you. That means you're isolated. And you better come out. And you better come out fast. It's fun. <laughs> I got a lot of stuff down here. Way too much. First step, isolation can be the first step down the staircase to destruction. Second step, men beware. Ignorance can be the second step down the staircase of destruction. So the first step is isolation. Then if you take a step down, you're going from isolated to ignorant. I told you this is what I preach to myself, right? I have zero doubts about it. Isolation overdone can lead to ignorance. And that's one step closer to that third step. You know why? None of us is as smart as all of us. We really do need each other. We really do. Lone Rangers make me nervous. They make me nervous. People who, who lead anything as a one man should makes me nervous. They have to be in control all by themselves. Just makes me real nervous. Why? Because it's stupid. I've been to a few, you know, a few Sunday services up on my new charge there. And sometimes the pastor will ask me after the service, what did you think? The first thing that goes through my mind is I don't know if they've known me long enough to ask me that question and get the right answer. <laughs> but whenever a pastor does everything, I tell them quickly, it would be nice to see someone else's face up front and hear somebody else's voice other than yours. If you're going to pray three times in the service, there ought to be somebody to pray at least once besides you. So one man should just do everything himself. You know why? That's where they're comfortable. They've been alone. They're comfortable with themselves. And it's a very, it's a very disturbing thing. And usually pastors don't even know it. They think that's why they've been hired to do everything. And uh, so don't let your pastor do everything. He could. He's ten talent. But don't let him. Don't let him do everything. And he really doesn't want to. Years ago, our son Grayson, he attended NYC Nazarene Youth Congress uh, in Houston. And our, our local church had been experiencing some growth at the time. And Grayson was asked by pastors, leaders, whoever there, what's the secret of your dad's leadership? He didn't even think twice. He said, my dad knows how to get good people around him. 
Dan zijn we van een geesten. Well, that's true. They started naming all the new people around. Your family keep you humble, you know. Your family keep you humble. And now I've learned to just love that answer so much. I think when they thought I went to Philadelphia, I was going to do everything. Now I have gone back to work. I had to go back to work. <laughs> I had worked myself out of a job at Harrisonburg pretty much. And y'all were still paying me, so I know that's complaining. So I just stayed. <laughs> true. True story. That was my goal. Because John Maxwell told me 20 years ago, he said that a successful leader works himself out of a job and they just keep him around paying because they love him. I was hoping that would last. <laughs> Lord said enough already. But I went to where I am now. I called people off the sidelines. They had some really good players up there. Nobody had noticed them. And a good fresh set of eyes, you know, coming in. That's what I'm excited about, Pastor Edgar. And he's not new eyes. He's been part of this church 10 years. But he's in a new position, you know. He's looking from a different place. And he's going to call some of you off the sidelines that I just sort of missed. But he's sharper than I am. And he's doing really good in the leadership. He's already got the look in your jaws of the I've seen it. Oh, I love that. Mm. And one reason he's doing that is he wants to stay off the step of ignorance and just let it all be about one person. It can't be. Third step. You get the first one, men beware. Isolation can be the first step down the staircase to destruction. Step number two, men beware, ignorance can be the second step down the staircase to destruction. And third, men beware, idolatry can be the third step down the staircase of destruction. It begins with isolation. And then because we don't have other people speaking into our lives, we get kind of ignorant. And then before we even know, we're not even aware of it. Idolatry is underway in our life. What do you mean by that? I've witnessed it too many times in the lives of even ministry friends of mine. A love affair with isolation can lead to spiritual ignorance. And finally, yes, even to idolatry. Why? Isolation overdone and slowly but surely do away with integrity and erode accountability. You're only answering to yourself. And let me tell you, you're too easy on yourself. Uh, you let yourself off the hook too easy. I know this, I've done it. We need integrity and we need accountability. And when God sends others to turn us around and put them off with excuses of how busy we are, we're so important. We're so busy. Here are the words of Oswald Chambers warning us, beware the barrenness of a too busy life. Beware the barrenness of a too busy life. If you're too busy for community, you're too busy. You have got to find breathing room 
You've got to find community that's just with one other godly man. You've got to find that. If we're too busy, we're surely not living a Christ-like life. That truth in and of itself should be a clear warning that we need community as Christian men and leaders. Jesus always had time for others. We find Him often seeking time alone, however, it was to regain power and perspective so He could re-enter community and really minister to the needs of people. I want to make a statement that came to my mind today. Regardless of how many years you've been coming to retreat, if you make the decision about coming based on you, you're a long way from understanding what retreat is about. If you make a decision to come, say, well, what will I get out of it? <laughs> Sorry. How about if God's bringing you on retreat and it has nothing to do with you? It has to do with another man who needs you to be here. And you are the one who's going to speak truth into another man's life. That's when Christianity starts to grow wings. When we get over ourselves and get onto others. That's leadership. As a matter of fact, when I have signed up for things like this, the harder it got for me to go, the more determined I was to be there. <laughs> We've got to be our brother's keepers. Some of you already have had conversations, I know, on this trip, that you have helped another man and you had no idea that's why you were here. Yeah. He would interrupt your whole life to help one man eternally. That's what he does. Hmm. Let's be leaders and quit making decisions based on how it helps us. And we will get something out of it. But that's not why we come. That's not why we go to life group. Not for ourselves exclusively. Of course we get something. But how about that person who has very little community and they're dependent on you to come to make their community complete. I pray that the people in my son's life group show up if it were not for the church. You know, Ken and I have left the area now. Grayson would have little or no community. It's personal for me. And he loves community. But he doesn't go for himself. As a matter of fact, he'll take me on on that after we leave tonight. Because he's as godly a leader as I've ever known. His mother is teaching him how to cook certain things at his request so that he can add more to community when he comes. He's tired of bringing a bag of chips and a cheese tray. That's the order there. Thanks for leaving me, son. I won't be like you when I grow up. <laughs> So I'm just kind of taking the time here because this is a it's a heavy word. 
We claim to be sanctified as Nazarenes. Yet I fear we make so many of our decisions based on us. Mm. Mm. That's sad. Well, I don't feel like doing it tonight. I think I'm going to stay home. Well, God bless your heart. Now, I, I woke up many a Sunday morning and said to Kim, I don't feel like doing it today. She said, get up and get your shower and get a preacher. <laughs> Had to marry you tonight. <laughs> and you know, it was one of those days of our day. I got the most, the days I didn't feel like doing. Maybe nobody else got anything out of it, but boy, I got help on those days especially. Because I need community. Or I'll turn to idolatry. I'll start worshiping myself. You know, when I first came to Harrisburg, one of the most beautiful things, and I don't expect this to happen, maybe it's going to be happening. But God was doing so much on Sunday that people literally sold their houses at the beach and at the lake because they did not want to miss what was going on in our community. It was all for the hood. I mean, don't sell your lake house. I wanted to borrow that sometimes. <laughs> Tell you, community, when it's really hitting on all cylinders, there is no beach house or no lake house or no mountain house or anything else where you can go be isolated by yourself that's better than that. I tried it. Don't happen. So, are you on that staircase? Either step is dangerous. Isolation, ignorance, idolatry. I have it in other words. I've got the staircase drawn with other words in case I just don't get it a certain day. Let me give it to you a little blunter. Okay. Aloneness, first step. Second step, arrogance. Third step, adultery. I have seen it. And I was writing this and I thought, well, how about people who aren't married? That won't make any sense to them. It's like the Lord said, I'll give it to you again. Give it to you in another way. First step, far away. You start pulling away from the people who speak truth into your life. You make excuses for not getting together and not seeing them. You're usually too busy. So the first step is you move far away from the people who love Jesus the most in your life, the ones who speak the truth in love, you move far away from them. Second step, foolishness. When you get far away from the people in your life who love Jesus the most and who love you the most and who speak the truth in your life, you go far away and then you turn foolish. And that leads to fornication. As for the unmarried, I've seen it happen. It's painful. I'm going to close. Um, I don't know if you call this a lesson, a message, a confession, a whooping. 
and I know why. Because if I was the devil, I'd be mad at them too. Because <laughs> they take people who have no real healthy community at home and they give it to them at church. And when I first went on the district, it was to this young man's church that I went first. Because they were in a division. The church was divided. That was my first assignment. I walked into this church and everybody was sitting in their seat like this. Now they send somebody from the district to try to straighten us out one more time. And in 20 minutes they were all leaning forward sitting on the edge of your seat because they're a bunch of fishermen and I taught their language. But this young man he came to me. He was 15 then. He said, please find us a good pastor. I'm dependent on you. This is my only hope. Do you know people like that that come to your church? And you've got a good community home with your family. Well, bless your heart. Some people don't have it. And if you don't show up, they'll never have it. And here's what he shared. I mean, I saw some of the men in that Bible study a week later, and they're still saying, can you believe the lesson? I said, it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever witnessed in my life. He got up. He said, I know what you're thinking. Why is a 16-year-old up here about to teach the lesson? Most of you all want to be my daddy. Some of you my granddaddy. And they all laughed. And he said, but I've studied the life of Jesus and he used a young person or two. <laughs> so he's going to use me today. Now I'm here to tell you, if there's a leadership vacuum, God will find somebody to step into it. Yes. And in this case, as a 16-year-old who knows what the church means, the community his name is Nicholas Fry. Nicholas with a K, Fry with an E, like Glenn Fry. Age 16. He stood. He said, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians 5, 14. <laughs> if you have the pages turning, phone's coming on. I want to read it. I want to also read his translation of it. He said, and we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. If you're idle, you're not leading. That's what that means. I said, well, let me read it in another translation. Maybe it'll loosen it up a little. Maybe it won't be quite so hard. Think again. Here it is in God's Word translation. Instruct those who are not living right. I'll take the idol. <laughs> Instruct those who are not living right. Friends, if we're leaning out of community, we're not just idle, we're not living right. The community is the bride of Christ. And we are, we got to lean in. So he read that. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle. And here are the things he said, at least the best that I can get them down. I'm not doing him justice. Jesus knew, and he preached it, he didn't teach it. Jesus knew what had to be done. 
He was not going to sit on the sidelines watching others lose hope and purpose. He was never a bystander. He had to be right there. You know that Jesus could have walked past the woman at the well? He could have kept fishing right past Peter. And he could have walked past Calvary, warned those who were idle. How do we become idle? How do we succeed in our challenge? The answer is simple, men. Get engaged. And if you're unengaged, get re-engaged. <laughs> this is a boy who needs community. He needs men in his life. And he's asking for it. How do we get engaged? How do we get re-engaged? Spend more time with God in prayer and also in your church. Giving it to us. Tell the brother in Christ you love them. Help show someone to Christ because bystanders are always left behind. 16. Allow God to make you a servant, not a bystander. Jesus, oh, I want to be a leader. I want to be a servant. I don't want to be a bystander. I don't want to get left behind. Lord, there's no way that I can, that I can think through these words tonight without thinking about Shorty Rhodes, who was in his 80s. And we needed life group leaders. And he went to Pastor Roger. Pastor Roger went to him. And, and he agreed to take a life group in his 80s. And after a year or so, Pastor Roger asked him, Brother Shorty, do you want to sign on for another year? Or do you want to continue to be a life group leader? And he said, well, let me think it out loud here for a moment. He said something like this. I got diabetes about to kill me. I almost fall everywhere I go. I'm not very good on my feet. My voice is about going to a whisper. I got some medical things I need attention for. So I think the devil's trying to keep me from leaving. So yes, sign me up for another year. As long as the Lord wants me to leave, I'm leaning in. Brother Shorty, what an inspiration. He took the tape with his chest. He's in heaven tonight. He didn't get left behind. He refused to be a bystander. Oh, I think about Pearl Park. God bless her tonight. I know she misses Fred. She retired after working longer than she should have. She ought to take a rest and play shuffleball or something. But no, she heard that Celebrate Recovery needed somebody to cook. So she signed up. She does not cook one meal on a Monday night that she doesn't contact Grayson and say, Grayson, come cooking tonight. Make sure you come for some. Lord, you got your people.
You got your people in your church. And I'm praying tonight we'll be inspired. That we will be servants. We will be servants. That we will truly lead. Lord, Pastor Adrian is going to come and close the service. He's going to try to clean up after what I've said and done. But tonight, I know a little bit about what he's feeling. Somebody asked me here this week, Pastor Carrie, are you tired? I said, no, not at all. I'm not tired. I'm just, I think I'm just relaxed. <laughs> well, the only reason I can say that is because, Lord, you rolled the burden of this local church off of me and walked to Pastor Adrian. Tonight, I've done my best to get under that with him for just a while. For Pastor Drew, all the other pastors in the room, we really need men to say, I got your back. Uh, Pastor Adrian, I don't know if I've told you yet, but I'm in. I'm in like Flynn. Is there anything I could do to help? I pray God that the men of First Church and all the other churches represented here will rise again and say, we're not done yet. <laughs> not only that, we need community for ourselves. And we're going to take the community, the local church, to a new level with the help of the Lord. I'm excited, Lord, for what's possible. I pray that we would quit talking about how tired we are and how old we are. It's not about us. It's about you. Forgive us. Proclaim in holiness and whining all the time. We know you forgive us because you're merciful. I don't know the better people than the men in this room. I don't know all the men in this room. But I don't know better people. And a lot of people wouldn't be able to take a challenge or a warning like this. But I know that at least a half the men in the room want is maybe one reason they're here is to be challenged. And so I pray God that Pastor Adrian won't have to lay awake at night wondering who's with him. I pray that Pastor Drew won't have to thinking, have I got this on my own? I pray that these notes will be written with sincerity, clarity, and they will be covenants as well. That we don't just read a covenant, but we live a covenant. And if we start with number 20, I think you'll be okay with that. That we would find ways to strengthen your bride, to strengthen the church. And I think it would be okay, even though I know there's a proper closing. Um, Pastor Adrian, would just stand in the aisle there. I'm not going to bring people around you. Just, just stand there for a moment. Pastor Drew, would you like to stand with him? Are there any other pastors? Pastor Rob, would you like to stand? Um, you shared some things with me this week. How about a person from each of the other churches? You don't have to be the pastor. You just have to care about the church. Somebody, Sam Sheff, you in the room? And whoever else from any of the churches. Let's let's just have a I like that. Just have a prayer. It'll be sacred. It'll be simple. And it'll be sure.
but would you agree with me tonight? You all just kind of put an arm around each other and do something right there to have a sign of unity. Thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you for leaders who lead us. Thank you for leaders who said yes. And keep saying yes. Thank you for leaders that know that you did not stop on the way to Calvary and we must not stop on our way to heaven. Except to spend time in community and to reach those who are lost. So tonight I pray for each church represented. And Lord, I don't think you'd mind if you would throw those 60 or so churches in the pot that I'm trying to oversee. And if you would just bring a new sense of community in every church. God, help us to lean in. We don't want to be bystanders. We want to be servants. So Lord, please, we can't let this get away from us. I pray that the men of these local churches would rise up again with your spirit giving them, giving them the ability and that you would bring healing and wholeness into our thinking and that you would keep us off those stair steps of isolation and ignorance and idolatry. That you would keep us off those stair steps of aloneness and arrogance and adultery. That you would keep us off those stair steps of far away and foolishness and fortification. I pray, God, that you would help us to be pure men of God. And that you would work through the likes of us with all our frailty, with all our error, that you would work through us to strengthen your church. Because I heard a preacher years ago at a Promise Keeper conference say, as goes the man, so goes the families. As goes the families, so goes the church. As goes the church, so goes the community. As goes the community, so goes the commonwealth. As goes the commonwealth, so goes the country. As goes the country, so goes the world. And I pray we would be those kind of men. That we are in such intimacy with you and relationship with one another that the enemy would regret ever messing with your church. Help us to rise up and defend your bride. Don't let us be guilty of saying, I love the groom, but I hate the church. Help us to know that we are the church. And you love the church. You died to have a bride. You died to have a bride. And the people say that. Thank you, Carrie. I think, I think we're thankful that we heard that. I know that we are. Hey, this is how we're going to end tonight. We're almost done. Many years at retreat, we end with communion. But tonight we're going to end with covenant. Um, we want to give every single one of you a gift to bring home with you. Uh, the covenant that we've been reciting all weekend, we made it in a nice print. Kind of a sleeve here. Something that you can frame. 
I've already been thinking about where I want to put my framed copy of this covenant. It might surprise you. I want to put it in my boys' room. When I'm in there at night tucking them in, I want to have to see this. And maybe not now, it might be a little while still, but at some point they're going to ask me, Dad, what does that say? I'll get to share with them what it means to be a godly leader. So each of you will get to take one of these home and you frame it and put it wherever you want. For some of us, it needs to go on our desk at work. For some of us, a place where we have our quiet time. But it's a reminder. It's more than a souvenir. It's more than a t-shirt. It's a commitment. Covenant. And tonight, I just really felt like this is what we're supposed to do. And so what we're about to do is going to be a little bit cumbersome, maybe, and inconvenient for some. But Carrie just told us all to get over that, right? Said, so get over that. Get over yourself. So he said it, not me. So. But I felt like uh, some of us in a minute, you're going to come to the covenant. You're going to leave, and that's great. We're great. glad you're here. And if you want to stick around after that to clean up, great. If you need to go back, please do that. We love you. We're glad you're here. But I just couldn't help but think that there might be a few of us tonight as we kind of symbolically, this is just a piece of paper, right? But we, it symbolizes more than that. That as we take our covenant tonight, I just felt like there might be some of us in the room that might want a blessing prayed over us tonight as we embark on what it means to be a leader. Because we can't do this on our own. About trying harder. Billy reminded us last night. This is how God. So this is what I'm asked to do. None of my pastors, they have no idea they're doing this, but surprise. I'm going to ask uh, the pastors in the room, you know who you are, to come stand. And I want you to grab a few of these covenants in your hand. Come join me. Don't just stare at me. I know you're surprised. You had no idea we were going to do this, but come. Chip, would you come help us? Chip Leatherman, would you come? Drew, please come. And this is what we're going to do. We're just going to kind of spread out, you know. There's some space here. Um, Drew, you've got a big contingent, man. You might want to just be right outside the door there. Um, I'm going to ask. This is logistically complicated, but it's not impossible. And so take some of these. Sure, please. Tonight, if you want a blessing prayed over your life, you don't need to speak a word or anything. But if you just come to one of the pastors tonight, just a one-minute blessing. It's not going to be, you know, we're not praying until the midnight hour here. Some of you, fathers, you might want to come with your son together. And you might just want to together have a blessing prayed over you. That would be okay. Some of you, you may come, you may just want to take one and go, you're welcome to do that. There's no pressure to do this. Um, but I just want to invite you tonight to journey into covenant together. So, Lord, this is going to be the official benediction of our 25th year of men's retreat. It's not uh, easy. It's a little complicated. It's inconvenient for some. It might mean we have to sit here for a few minutes and wait till someone can pray with us. But, Lord, I would pray that what has happened in our hearts over these last days would be eternal. I pray more than any lesson that's been taught more than any word that was spoken, more than any um, scripture that we learned, you will right now on our hearts write your truth and your promises and your call. This is your call for us, Lord. This is not Pastor Carey's call. It's not my call. It's your call for us as men. And so we will end this retreat how we begin it. 
by answering the question, how will we respond to your call on our lives to be? We love you and we thank you. As we leave tonight, you're welcome to come and grab one. But if you'd like a blessing, pray over your life tonight, just briefly. This time is yours. You can wait your turn, come down the aisle, be gracious to one another as we move in and out. But let's close this time with blessing and let's move, let's leave this place with a covenant, a new covenant in our lives to lead why God would have us lead. Amen.